Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right, this week we are going to be reviewing Food Chain Magnate. I finally got a chance to play this game. I'm going to share my thoughts. And then Natasha is going to be reviewing Finest Fish, which is a little drafting game that you're drafting scales to put on fish, right? It's lovely, yeah. It's a lovely little game. And then in the discussion topic, Natasha went to Dice Tower East, so she's going to share her experience with Dice Tower East. But before we get into anything, I want to bring something up to you, Natasha, because you've been giving me a lot of crap over the last like year and a half. Because I started playing, I yeah, a little bit. I started painting my Blood Rage miniatures like COVID time. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it's I, been a while. It's been a hot minute. So I I started off painting it. Uh, I did three of the factions and a, and like three of the big monsters, and then finally, you know, I just kind of set it off to the side, and I've been neglecting playing that game. Because it was unfinished and it was not completely painted. And I am coming on here to say that I've officially finished it all. I took like a long weekend and I basically just painted miniatures the entire time. So my Blood Rage game is completely painted. It's ready to go. It's ready for table presence. It's ready to go out there. It's ready to get played. So this week, I want to play some Blood Rage because I finally haven't painted. (laughs) (laughs) It took... It took me a while. Listen, I don't like I'll get to things. I'll eventually finish them at some point. It just takes me a little bit of time. Well, that's the nice thing about painting is you can sit down and paint for, paint for 30 minutes and then pick it up and be done with it for a little bit. Like you're not committing yourself to any length of time like you are with like getting out like like a puzzle. You really need to commit to finishing it. You can't just put it away unless you've got like, something you can put it away in. But painting, you just you can just drop in and paint for just as minimum amount of time as you want. It's nice. My one concern when I took that much time off was that is the is the way I painted the miniatures going to make them look different from each other? Does that make sense? Like the sets that I painted now compared to the sets I painted a couple of years ago, are they going to look different enough where you'll clearly say, okay, these were clearly in wave one and these were clearly in wave two. Mm-hmm. But I th- I think I managed to not, I, I kept the process the same. With all of them, so I think they're just all about as good as they're going to be. There, I did kind of forget if I had like, did I dry brush this and then put on a wash, or did I do the wash and then dry brush? Hmm, I don't <laughs> remember. I don't think it matters. All no, my but I. Different. Anyway, I accomplished it. It's good. It's ready to go. It's painted. So uh, I'm excited to bust it out and uh, yeah, play some Blood Rage this week. I love Blood Rage. I'm down to play all the time. It is what a top five game for you, top three. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't my. I think it was my second favorite game, maybe. Behind Scythe is mm-hmm. Blood Rage. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you have it. Well, this week we're playing it. We should take some pictures and post it on our Instagram. All right, let's get into some reviews, huh? Uh, this week I got a chance to play Food Chain Magnate, and I'm gonna kind of share my opinion on it. Keep in mind, I wanted a slight disclaimer. This is after one play. So everything I'm going to talk about is going to be based on the one single play that I've had. This is a type of game that you really need to play a ton to truly get everything you want out of this game. But you wanted to review it because it's probably not going to get played again anytime soon. That's the thing, right? It's, It's heavy enough that I don't know how often it's going to get played. How often I'm going to have a chance to play this game. So it's fresh. I just played it. I wanna, I wanna give you my and my impressions on it and what I felt about the game. So uh, this is going to be an economic game designed by uh, Jurian Duman and Joris Wiersinga, and it's published by Splatter Games. So in this game, players are fast food entrepreneurs who are trying to make the most amount of money possible by fulfilling customer orders. They'll be doing this by hiring and training employees, making and acquiring the different goods in the game advertising those goods, and selling them to the different houses. So first off, I want to say that this overview is going to be actually pretty basic. The rules, for the most part, are straightforward for a game that has a lot of depth. So the game is going to be played until players have depleted the pool of money that has been created in the game. Each round, players are going to start by forming their company structure. 
they'll be taking their employee cards and forming a company hierarchy. This basically sets the workers you're going to be using for the round. This will also determine turn order for the round. If you have gaps in your hierarchy, you'll be going sooner. Next up, players in turn order will be using their workers. They can hire new staff for future rounds. They can trade employees they are not using this round. They can initiate marketing campaigns, which I'll get to in a little bit more in depth here in a little bit. And then they can get food and drink, or they can place new restaurants or move existing ones. The next phase is dinner time. This is where players will be fulfilling orders based on the different marketing campaigns players have played. There are several different campaigns players can start, like they can do billboards, which will affect houses they touch. Mailbox campaigns, will, which will affect small regions. There's airplanes, which can affect an entire strip of the board. Or radio ads, which affect different tiles around it. This is an important part of the game because it determines what each house wants. For example, if you market pizza, customers will want pizza. But they could also want soda with their pizza because another player has marketed the soda. You can only fulfill orders from houses that you have you can complete in its entirety. So if you don't have soda and only pizza, you can't sell to that house. After this phase, players will pay their employees unless they fire them. They will run the marketing ads still on the board. And finally, there's going to be just a basic cleanup phase. Players will continue taking turns until they've reached the end of the game. There are two things I would like to mention here. One is the game length is variable. So the game begins with a certain amount of money based on player count. Once this money is depleted, there will be more money added, but that amount is based on cards all players have secretly played at the start of the game. And finally, the last thing I want to talk about is milestones. So in this game, you can hit different milestones, and they are extremely important. In some cases, they can actually really dictate the type of strategy you're going to have within the game. Often players are going to be fighting to achieve these different milestones. So what I think makes this game good is the decisions you make matter from the very first round you play. So the rules are not overly complicated, but the players are going to be fighting over the board in those milestones, trying to be the one who completes the orders for the different houses. So I have played this game once, and I did the, the, the introductory version. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. a full game, so it was a shorter game. Yeah. Um, and it was, but it was so long ago. All I can remember is that it um, was it just like spiraled, like like everyone else like spiraled and got big. Like I spiraled the opposite. I mean, I did get bigger, like you know, I did get better, but it was like so slow going. It was very very all over the place. This game, you can definitely spiral out of control in either way. Like your decisions truly matter. And I don't think this is a game you like, you would like very much. No, I didn't enjoy it. And I have no desire to play it again. Was it because of the area control aspect of things? Maybe. I liked the card play. That was really interesting. The, the way you place the workers out. I remember that, that what do they call it? A pyramid or whatever. Hierarchy. Huh? Hierarchy. That, that was really interesting and cool. But yeah, I think, it, I think it's one of those games that you have to learn and, and get better at. It's a game that's going to re- reward lots and lots of plays. Well, I played it with a group, and one of my stipulations to play it was, hey, can you guys make sure I don't mess up? Like, I don't want to go into this game and then just have a really terrible experience with it. And luckily, our group of friends that we game with, they're all, they're all really good about this sort of thing. Like, if they see you like making a real terrible move, they're going to be like, listen, that's probably not what you want to do. You know, when we got into this game, they were like, listen, your very first move, you want to do this or this. Those are the main two things. If you don't do that, like you're going to be behind from very start of the game. Cool. I appreciate that giving me that little like nudge. And even when you're like placing stuff onto the board, they were like, "Eh, maybe this would make a little bit more sense, that sort of thing. So it was nice to be able to play with players like that that aren't super cutthroat. That's especially important when you're playing a new game because you can't foresee how it's going to play out. Where like once you have that experience under your belt, like you know how it's going to play out and you can make those o- your own decisions like that. But I really do appreciate it be- when you're learning a new game and for people to provide direction like that. Yes, it was it made the experience very enjoyable for me. So let's talk about the hierarchy sort of thing. So when you're hiring employees, it's a really cool system. I like it. So you start off, you have a CEO card, which is you, and then you basically have little branches that hang off of your CEO, CEO card, one, two, and three, and it allows you to place three different workers, up to three workers underneath you. But then you can hire additional executives that can go under, underneath your CEO spot, and then they're going to have little branches. So you'd have a CEO with three branches, then maybe some vice presidents with a couple branches, 
So then you can start like getting more and more employees, which I think is cool. There's also a training system in which you're going to be taking the employees and upgrading them, which I think is interesting because um, it allows you some variability with what you're going to do and and how you're going to develop your strategy moving forward. Um, so that hierarchy thing, I thought that was cool. And the less employees that you bring on, the earlier you can end up going in the turn. So turn order is based on the amount of gaps that you have in your hierarchy. So if I have two gaps, Natasha has one, I'm going to be going first. Natasha is going to be going second, which I think is, is cool. You have less employees, so you can go first and do the things you want to do first. But sometimes turn order matters. Sometimes it doesn't matter as much with like placing, you know, the different stuff on the board does, that does matter. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, the other big part of the game is these marketing campaigns. So you're going to hire marketers that are going to set up these different marketing campaigns with on the on the grid of houses that you have. And there's basically like four kinds. So there's billboards, which when you place them on there, whatever house it touches, it's going to market to those specific houses. There are um, mailbox campaigns that you can place, but they're going to be separated by regions. Any regions that are surrounded by a road is considered one region. So you can put a mailbox campaign into that region and then it'll campaign to all the different houses in that region. There are airplanes again. So there's going to be the board is set up by tile. So it'll basically affect an entire row of tiles. And then there's radio campaigns, which when you set it on a tile, it's going to affect that tile and every single tile that's touching it or adjacent to it. So there's different, these different marketing campaigns that you can launch that will influence the type of goods each house wants. So every player is trying to influence what the houses want. And it is your job as the player to make sure you are marketing the goods that you want to sell and still getting the goods that everyone else is selling. So in the overview, I talked about the pizza and soda example. Like if I'm heavy in pizza, but I'm not making, you know, I'm not going and getting any soda, I'm not going to be able to sell. So I need to like adjust constantly to what the houses want. And the other big part of selling to these houses is based on distance. Now, this is where the area control aspect kind of comes into this game. The houses want to go the least amount of tiles away to acquire the goods they want. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to set up your restaurants in such a way that you are the first ones they're going to go to. And this is going to happen with a variety of different ways. So one, it's going to be distance. The other is going to be based on price. And the third facet is if you have waitresses or not, which is interesting. So if, let's say, Natasha and I are both two tiles away and both our prices are exactly the same and I have a waitress and she does not, I'm going to get the order because I have a waitress. Natasha is not going to get the order. You can influence your pricing with milestones, with different um, uh, employees. So you can affect your overall pricing structure. Based on that, there's different milestones that will count your distance one less, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of things you're manipulating. And it's interesting with the pricing thing because it, it starts as a base price of, let's say, like $10. And then you can subtract pricing, which is going to make your spot a little bit more lucrative or make your spot a little bit more desirable because you have a cheaper price. You can also hire a luxury brand person, which basically I think she makes your pricing plus 10. So now instead of selling for 10, you're selling for 20, which is a risky move because if you know you're going to get the house, you want to try to get as much money as you can. I'd rather sell at 20 than at nine or eight. But in the game we played, the very last round, one of the players played that employee. And because they played that employee, they did not sell a single thing in that last round. And it was devastating. Mm -hmm. Because everyone else had cheaper, had, could sell for cheaper. Yes. So he did not get any of the orders. And that, and because of that, the spread of points and the end game was, was a lot bigger because they weren't able to get, he wasn't able to get anything sold to any of the houses. Had he been able to sell, he, he would have been far more competitive. So to give you an example, the winner of the game had 534 points. The loser had 75. <laughs> like, it was a big spread. 
Like it was huge. So it can be one of those games making that one decision completely crippled his game at the very end of the game. Did the winner get all those like 500 points though at the last round or they were probably doing well throughout the game? Okay. So that's, so I won and the, did you? I'm a little humble brag, right? So I won my first game, but uh, part of it is I the people I was playing with, they did a really good job of making sure I didn't make any mistakes. Because of that, I think that gave me, that allowed me to do decently well in the game. But one of the things that I think caused me to win was getting those milestones. And I want to talk about those milestones because some of those milestones seem busted. You could get, the one of the, the milestone I got was my me as the ceo counted as a cfo and what the cfo does which takes a long time to climb to because you have to get like a you have to track up like four or five trains in order to get a cfo the cfo will take whatever money you made and give you an extra half on top of it so for example let's say i made 80 dollars in a round it would say okay you get an extra 40 so now I made 120 in the round and I got that very early. So every round I would, whatever money I made, I would get an extra half on top of it. And I think because of that, I was able to squeak out the win because it between me and second place, second place was 527. So we're talking seven points. Like it was a very close first and second. So was the person that lost learning food chain magnet as well? No, I was the only new player, the person mm-hmm. who, but the, but the person who was last had played before, but it had been a while. Yeah, probably, probably similar once to before. Yeah. yeah. So it had been a while since they played. And we did play with the ketchup um, expansion, which introduced coffee, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, because basically you can put out coffee stands and the way that works is uh, houses that are going driving to your restaurant to pick up stuff if they stop if they cross a coffee shop they automatically buy coffee um, and think of it like Starbucks every time you see a Starbucks you stop and get Starbucks uh, that sort of thing it was it was kind of interesting but those milestones man there's just a there's a race to get these milestones and like well, me and another player got refrigeration which means we're able to store goods from round to round up to 10 goods, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but the other two players didn't have that. If you achieve the milestone on the same turn, like you both get it. So me and this other player, we were able to store 10 goods every single round. So I didn't have to like place people making goods because I had them. Uh Whereas the other two players had to constantly be making them round to round to round to round. Man, those milestones, they can be busted, man. They They can give you such an advantage, but you're like racing towards them. So in the beginning, you almost have to like pick one and say, all right, I'm trying to accomplish this because there's going to be a bunch you don't get. And then the ones you do get, you have to kind of just form your strategy around. I really like this game. Uh, It's extremely thinky. There's a lot of different things you're trying to factor in when it comes to where am I going to be placing my restaurants? How am I going to be marketing? Am I like burger guy? Am I pizza guy? Maybe I'm dabbling in a little bit of both. At some point, you can put additional houses out where am i going to be placing those houses do i want to put them close to me are people going to swoop in what are the marketing campaigns that are happening you know what are the different houses going to want do i need to go out and get you know beverages because those you don't make you go and acquire you make the burgers and the pizza so it has so many like things going on with it i really enjoyed my play i really enjoyed my play of it after one play i'm going to come in and i'm going to give my rating of an 8 Wow. I I really enjoyed it. I would like to play it more. I would like to experience the game more. I want to talk about the aesthetic for a second. The the aesthetic of the game is interesting because it makes sense for being like a 1950s sort of diner-esque theme. I like the art in the game. I think it's cute cutesy. I don't like the components. I think that it's like really cheaply. It looks super cheap. The which component? Just like the, I don't like the iconography of the board and um, the car, like the the cards and the isn't there money, paper money? I am sure there is. I know for the game we played, um, our one friend who has all the upgraded bits, we did the iron clays. Mm-hmm. I like the the artwork, but that's like it. That's nice about it. The artwork fits. the The mm-hmm. game board looks like a prototype. Yeah, it's weird. It's such a weird aesthetic for the game. But like 
And the and interestingly enough, the price point for the game is pretty high for what you get as far as component quality, you know? Mm-hmm. But it looks cheap. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like spending $120 on this game, you should get more, which you don't. But overall, I really enjoyed this game. You know, we had a Dean, our friend, on, you know, a handful of episodes ago, and we talked about um, crunchy, heavy Euros. This is one of those types of games. Like, if you're, if you love those in depth, strategic Euros that you can make a mistake and not come back from, this is that kind of game. If you do not like that, stay away from it. If you don't like fighting over territory, then I would not necessarily pick this game up. So Natasha does not like area control. There's a certain level of area control in this game. Like you want to position your restaurant so you are the one providing to the houses around the neighborhoods. So you're trying to undercut your uh, other players. You're trying to make your price a little bit cheaper. You want to, you know, hire some additional waitresses because they they end up getting they end up making you money and they end up getting you know customers to come to your location over somebody else's. That's all you're trying to do is slip into through the other restaurants and take away their orders. So there's a little, there's a bunch of that, you know, type of interaction with that. So if you're not cool with that, you're not going to like this game, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely strategic. There's a lot of depth to this game. You know, I played it the one time I really enjoyed it. I would love to play this game more to really sink my teeth into this style of game. It just getting it to the table, you know, I think it's, it's really going to be for, for you, if you like this style of game, if you're interested in it, and you have friends that are interested in it and would like it, but haven't played it to death. You know, if you've got friends that are like, oh, I love this game. I play it all the time. Like, you probably aren't going to want to play with them either. You know what I mean? It's yeah. going to be like, yep. it's going to be hard to find a group to play it with that that will enjoy it, that are willing to put the time into it. But if you guys did it together and like learned it together and played it a whole bunch of times together, I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it can be. It, very much it's it's definitely a game you have it you have to play a bunch of times so mm-hmm. with people that have also not played it a bunch of times yet yeah it was it was interesting because in our play we uh one of the one of the guys has played it a decent amount i don't know how many times but you could tell just by the moves he was making he knew what he was doing and he's the one who came in second i honestly don't know how i won at the end he was he wasn't selling much in the very beginning and he was just you could see he was building up he was building up and then that last round he sold to basically every house just about it was ridiculous i was like am i going to be able to sell anything he undercut the other player so the other player could not sell a single thing and like he was able to basically provide to every single house i was able to sneak in on a couple houses just based on my location so i was able to get some points at the end of the game but he probably scored 160 points at that very last round. Like, it was mm. ridiculous. I was like, I, there's no way I win. You know, I felt good up until that round, and I was like, But you, you know, had made so much money on the prior rounds that that helped you. Well, what ended up happening was, like, the middle rounds, I was selling a ton, and then people started marketing things that I didn't have. So then there was a couple rounds where I really didn't sell much. And I was like, man, this is not good. So then I had to kind of pivot and everything like that. And that having that... Having that foresight to say, okay, they're about to market soda. I need to figure this out. I need to make sure I can get soda. Or I need to make sure I can get pizza. I need to make sure I can get beer. I can make sure I can get these different goods. Uh, there's a lot of thinking involved. There's, there's a lot to this game. So I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I'm giving it an eight. That, again, based on one play, could go up. Maybe it goes down. I find out that it's just not, my brain doesn't, my brain doesn't like it that much, but. I really enjoyed this game. So that is Food Chain Magnate. All right. Let's move to the opposite end of the spectrum here. <laughs> let's. Let's talk about The Finest Fish. This is designed by uh, Nathan, Jen, and Jake Jen. Jake Jen also did the art, and it's published by Last Night Games. It's a it's a light, uh, I would say, family weight drafting tiling game. So you get these, like, you get this fish at the beginning of the game and it's a really nice thick cardboard with an insert uh with the the scales that you're going to place inside of it and it's it's um raised so they fit in really nicely and the fish scales are kind of uh they're triangle shapes with like rounded edges and so you're going to draft um groups of 3 
um, fish scales, you'll take the fish scales and you can swap out any of your fish scales that you drafted for any that are in the fishbowl. It starts off with just one in the fishbowl. So if you really wanted that one, you could trade. And then you can spend your fish scales um, uh, taking any of the cards that are available. The cards have patterns that that are goals. So if you make that pattern on your fish, then you'd score three points at the end of the game for um, each card that you got one of those patterns for. Or if you want to keep the fish scales, then you would place them on your fish and you could kind of start at one end and build out towards the other end of the fish. So you can't just put it anywhere. And at the end of the game, you'll score three points for every card you've completed. You'll score um, points, one point for each cluster of three or more. So you want to get fish scales that match each other next to each other. You'll score a a point apiece for those. And then there's black fish scales, which aren't a part of any of the patterns. So you get an extra point for each of the black scales in your fish. And that's it. That's the entire game. But what makes this game so lovely, I think, are the components. So the fish is really nice and beautiful. It's got really simple artwork, but it's but it's really appealing. It looks really nice. And then the fish scales are really lovely. They're all like white, various shades of orange, and then black. But they just look really lovely. And then the, the various um, shades of orange all have a little uh, drawing on top of them so you can t- distinguish them apart based by, on a little uh, like maybe three dots or uh, a little line or something that makes it really clear which shade of orange it is so at the end of it it just looks really really lovely and it, it's just a lovely little um, family weight game I think really anybody could play yeah, the the components on it look really good that you get that like little fish and then you have those wooden components and everything like that. I do like the fact that they put those symbols on it to make it, you know, color bl- color blind friendly. That's especially because cool. the oranges are really similar, and it makes it look nice having all that same sh- different shades of orange. Yeah, it it blends in with the aesthetic of the art for the actual fish, so it doesn't make it seem like too ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's super cute, easy to learn, easy to play. I can see a lot of people. Uh, enjoying this game. I could see it on the shelves of Target. It's very um, approachable for just about anybody. You know, the way the fish scales are placed, like there's nothing complicated about it. It's got just a knife, uh, a nice, um, just enough of a puzzly aspect to it with where you want to go for the patterns that you're making or do you want to go for clusters? Because you usually can't do both. You're kind of picking, you know, you're kind of doing some clusters and some patterns. And I think it's just a lovely little puzzle. Yeah, it seems cool. You you wanted to play this at Origins, and we mm-hmm. tried a couple times, and then you eventually ended up playing it while I was doing uh, a different game. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think I would like it, or is it going to be too light? I think you'll think it's okay. I don't think it's near as good as like Cascadia and Calico, and I, I love those. I love tile laying games in general. I love you know the drafting tile laying games. Yep. I don't think it's near as interesting. I think it's it there's. There's no like tension. It's a little bit more like Cascadia because there's no tension. Like in Calico, you really want this one particular piece. You yeah. know, this you're going to get it and you can trade for whatever's in the fishbowl. And the fishbowl gets emptied every so many rounds. So there's not that many in there. So you have choices, but it's not like it's not everything is available to you. You know, and, and it, it's just it's just really pleasant and less tension. Yeah, because it has a lot of the things that I would like in a game, right? So you're talking drafting, which I like. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're developing the sets and clusters. Tiling is maybe a stretch. It's tiling because you, yeah. you it matters where you place them. They're adjacent to each other. They're small little fish scales, but their their placement matters. You know, because you want to make these shapes, or do you want to make these? Um, or I guess these patterns, or you want to put clusters together. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's 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 completely lovely. I really enjoyed playing it. I played it a couple more times at Dice Tower East, and, and it, it's like 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to rate it a 7. I liked it a lot. I would happily play it whenever anybody asks, but it's not a game where I'm like, oh, I want to play it again. Oh, I, I, I want to do this because then I can see if this strategy works. You know what I mean? It's not like there's a yeah. lot of different... Uh, I'm not going to keep coming back to it because it's not... Not that terribly like exciting and thrilling. There's not a lot of tension in there, but sure. But that's fine. Like it's it's really really enjoyable. I think you could play this with a lot of people. This came out this year, correct? Uh, 2022 actually, but I haven't seen it until this year. I, I just now started seeing it being sold. In fact, I don't mm, even know if this store has it yet. 
Yeah, it looks interesting. If it there's not a lot of tension, that that might be it might be too light for me. Yeah, it's very very yeah. light. It's it's um you know Cascadia's got that interesting patterns. It's a little bit more confusing because if you're teaching new players, you've got to go over all how the different animals score. This mm-hmm. is very very straightforward. I don't know that anybody's gonna dislike this game. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because it's just so pleasant and enjoyable. You know, and I think a lot of people could really, really like this. A lot of people that don't play a lot of strategy games. So who's this game for? I would recommend this game for, I mean, I kind of just about anybody. If you're looking for a nice light game, a good filler, this could be a good filler game with a little bit of meat on its bones. This could be a game that you, you play with your family. It's definitely one you could play with your kids. Um, you could play with your grandma. It's just a really, really lovely game. I don't know that that anybody could play this and not enjoy themselves. You know, so I could really recommend it to just about anybody. Hey, if Jima can play it, I mean, come on, right? Yeah, it's it's just lovely. And that's The Finest Fish. All right, well, that's going to wrap up the games we're reviewing. We had kind of a little spread there. We had something extremely complicated and we had something really light. So there you yeah. go, two ends of the spectrum. You probably a like show one for or everybody. the other, but probably not both. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Natasha is going to share her experiences at Dice Tower East. All right, welcome back. And next, we're going to talk about my experience at Dice Tower East. So, Dice Tower East is in Orlando, it's over the week of the fourth. Um, and so, I went uh, by myself. Because I couldn't get any of my friends to go down to Orlando with me in uh, July. And it was very, very hot. <laughs> it was very hot. I don't think I've ever experienced that kind of heat before. It, yeah. the, pr- the problem is Florida in July is just, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's going to be like 100 degrees and like 120% humidity. Like, I'm out. I don't know. Or for the July hot. weekend? No. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. And I flew uh, I flew Allegiant because it's nonstop from Grand Rapids to to Orlando, which was awesome, but they charge you for, um, you know, any bag, like a carry-on bag, and I'm like, I don't need that, so I packed everything in my um, backpack, so I didn't have to pay for my carry-on. You had to pay for a carry-on with Allegiant? Yeah, yeah, it's, That's a, dumb. it's a budget airline, and it was horrible, like, I would never recommend flying Allegiant, it was so super, I'm five foot three, and my knees were, I had about maybe an inch of room between my knees and uh, the seat. And the lady next to me was much, much bigger and she was squished into the seat. It was, it was awful. I'm like, I'm not saying like she was a huge person. She was like a regular sized person. A regular know? sized human being. Yeah. Yes. They didn't, regular sized people do not fit in budget airlines. <laughs> you need to be petite only. It's awful. And the seats are super hard. On the way back, I, I, um, got an, uh, exit row, which was great. I had much more room. But the seats were like, this. the seats are so hard. You're, you, it's like two and a half hours. You're never comfortable. Anyways. You know, the funny thing when you, you bring up, you know, comfort and seats, it's it's an interesting game getting older because you start taking way more interest in comforts that you didn't think you necessarily needed when you were in like your 20s. So <laughs> I remember like in my 20s, I'm just like, yeah, whatever, dude, I'll just sleep on a couch. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll sleep on the floor. Like, whatever, no big deal. Like, oh, yeah, let's cram 15 people into this two-bed hotel room. And now I'm like, we're, so my friends and I are trying to plan, uh, like, an RPG weekend. We call it Nerdapalooza. We're trying to plan a Nerdapalooza, and they're just like, all right, we're thinking about this Airbnb, and my first question is, do I get a bed? And then, <laughs> and then the next question is, do I get a bed in a room by myself? You know, there's, <laughs> it's all these little things like my wife and I are planning on going to Spain in September and we were looking, well, where do we want to sit on this plane? And we we're like, oh, let's, let's grab these seats. Cause you know, they're going to be in the front. They're going to be yes by the bathroom, but we're going to have a lot more leg space. The things you think about as an adult yeah, compared to like, Com- like, I'm willing, I'm willing to pay for my comfort. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. For sure. It's way more important now than it used to be. <laughs> So I couldn't fit my sweater. I knew I needed to bring a sweater because I was going to be in, in yep. the air conditioning. And I love, I know how Florida loves their air conditioning because it's really hot out. So I had to bring a sweater. So I wore my jeans and I wore my sweater, so, you know, so that I only needed to pack like one other pair of jeans in my backpack. 
And so then I get out of the airport and I'm like in a sweater and jeans and I just, it was so hot. It was just unbelievable how hot it was. Why did you think you needed to pack two pairs of jeans to Florida? Because I was going to wear them every day. I wore my jeans every day. I alternated the same pair of jeans every other day because it was freezing inside. Oh, fair. Yeah. It does get cold. True. All right. It is so cold. They love their air conditioning. The outdoor temperature did not matter. I was indoors the majority of the time, but I did bring shorts. So when I was outside, I could wear them. But anyways, so I get there a day early. I get there on Tuesday because it was the fourth. So I'm like, I'll fly on Tuesday. I have a whole day early. And so I went to the and hung out by the pool and I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, if I get hot, I'll just dip my toes in because normally I go to the pool and I can dip my feet in and cool myself off. But here, like I did that. I did nothing. I had to get like my whole body in the water before I actually felt like any kind of cooling off effect from the water because even the water was warm. It was so hot. So then I, after I was, yeah. And then I like laid in the shade. I found a spot in the shade where I could lay in. So I was like, there's no way you can lay in the sun. It's insane. I, it was out there for like two and a half hours. I put sunscreen on three times. Three times I reapplied sunscreen. Just because you were sweating it off or what? No, because I was nervous. It was so hot. I was like, I'm going to get burnt and it's going to ruin the rest of my week. You know, if you're in the shade and it's hot, you're not going to get sunburned, right? Like that's, you do realize yeah, we, that. Well, I was in the sun because I was in the pool for a little bit. You really can just put your feet in the water and like instantly cool off? Well, in Michigan, yes, because the water's cool. Interesting. Okay. Especially if you can get like the back of your knees, you know, that'll, that'll cool the whole body down. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, so let's talk about the resort. So it's at the Creep Resort in Orlando, which is really nice. It's a very, very large resort. Uh, and it's got this beautiful pool with a slide. Lots of kids are going to be there. A couple hot tubs. Um, it's And the rooms are really, really nice. They're all suites. So you got like this couch and a TV in one room, bathroom in the middle, and then the, the beds and the TV in the other room. It's really nice. You could fit a whole bunch of people in there. No problem. If you, you know, if you had friends that would go with you. <laughs> I'm hearing what you're saying. All right. I'll try to go next year. All right. I get it. I get it. I'm hearing it. All right. You want people to go with you. You had friends down there. I did have friends friends. down there. So I had friends that we met that I met up down there, which was really nice. But but mostly most of the time I just go down to the room. So I'd go down. I'd have to walk outdoors. So I had to carry my sweatshirt outdoors to get to the convention hall. But once I was there, I put my sweater back on because it was freezing inside. Sure. Um, And it was really, really nice convention area. It was uh, carpeted with ceilings, so it wasn't like super loud or anything. It was a really big area. It was very had very much the same feel of our small um, Grand Con, local Grand Con. That's what it felt like, but bigger. You know, the, there was uh, mm-hmm. there was exhibitors uh, there, but it was a f- you know few. Um, and they they focused more on there was like like all play and Arcane Wonders, which demoed a lot of their games, but all the rest of them were more smaller. Um, although. Stonemeyer game was was there and they were selling expeditions so that was cool but they were also selling like geeked out um bits for all their games like you could get all these really nice bits and pieces for wingspan and all you know like uh, upgrade all your games it's interesting that Stonemeyer was there because typically they don't have boots at conventions yeah like uh gen con they typically sell any of their games with those geek up bits is is the booth they're normally associated with so it's interesting that they actually had a booth there because typically they don't. And I did right. ask you to pick up a copy of Expeditions, and you were just like, I can't fit it in my backpack. I'm yeah, like, I can't. <laughs> <know. laughs> no, I bought zero games because all I took was my backpack. The only thing I bought while I was there was food because <laughs> I could eat it. Unbelievable. I'm like, can you snag a, snag a copy? And you're like, I can't fit it in my backpack. Well, I know. Which, put which it in was... a bag and carry it in your purse. I can't. I only have allowed one item on the plane. So I, put my, get... I didn't carry my purse. You didn't even get a purse and a... Did you bring your fanny pack? Yeah, but I had to put it in my backpack. Jeez. Allegiance. Because you only get one carry-on item. If I had my purse, you get one personal item. If I had my purse, that would be my personal item. Then I had, my backpack would be a carry-on. I had to pay for it. Dumb. One okay. Item. Anyway. Anyways, a lot of people were buying games. So they had... Um, Tom did his flea market where he was getting rid of all his games and he, he, they do that first thing in the morning, and they do that first pass where he like prices them normal consignment prices, and then like an hour later he marks them all down, and so they're really cheap, and then they just get cheaper and cheaper until he literally sells them all. And so a lot of people were really into that. That was a lot of fun. And hearing about it, I didn't go. And then the next day they did a, 
like everyone else's flea market where people were just buying tons and tons of games and it was it was fun there was a lot of fun energy people are getting a lot of games and I think a lot of people that go are local so you know it's no problem for them to bring a, a trunk load of games home with them there's a lot of good deals to be had there but what I did I really just would go down to the convention and I would walk around and I look for the green flags that showed players wanted and I would hop it on games that I knew I liked so I you know because I was playing with people I didn't always know I tried to pick out games that I knew I already liked. And um, I ended up playing a lot of games that I really liked that just I don't get played very much. I played Wayfarers of the South Tigris a couple of times. I got to play Endless Winter. I got to play Scythe, Arc Nova. Um, I got to play Terraforming Mars uh, with the big box with all the upgraded bits. That was really cool. Oh, I played Colonies with Terraforming Mars. Um, Colonies expansion, which I had never played before, which I really, really liked. You did. You liked it. I loved it. I um, love preludes. We played prelude and colonies. Yep. Um, and colonies, there's these colonies out there that you can colonize, and then you or you can also go there and like gain the items from there. And uh, there's just a few different ones you can go to. And at first, I was ignoring them, but then I was watching the other players like use them to their full benefit, and I was like, oh. I can go there and get 17 money. And then everyone else who's colonized that gets like four or eight coins or something like that. And mm. so then I started using them and it, it just got me more stuff. So it, I don't know if that helped the game. It felt like it went really fast. We played three players too that helped too. Yeah. But it felt like a really fast, it was less than two hours of a full game. And I really enjoyed it. Interesting. I would, I would play that. I would try it then if that's the case. The only issue I have with a lot of expansions is they increase game time. Yeah. So, you know, Terraforming Mars is not a short game to begin with. And that's why I love Prelude so much is because it speeds up the game, you know, gives you stuff to already start doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Um, and that was my point, um, main point with um, my main problem with like, I think it was Titans or I played one of the expansions and it just all it did was add a bunch of cards to the deck and then you really needed to get those Titan cards and I, I didn't find it terribly interesting but that was the first time I played it so you know take that with a grain of salt but I really liked Colonies it was fun I played um, I taught my friends Trailblazers which did not go over well at all they did not even like none of them liked the game like i played it we played a four-player game the three of them none of them liked it like ben and his friends they didn't the like it none of them liked it i was like shocked i thought it was an instant win that they would all just love it and they not they were like it, it's fine i'm like what what interesting what? interesting okay okay i wonder i wonder if i talked it up too much or or if i just did a bad job teaching it you know the yeah. thing is, you're okay. Okay, you're not the best teacher there is. That's not true. Yeah, I'm just I mean, kidding. of course, I'm not the best. That's that's a fact. Nobody's yeah. the best except for one person. I don't know who that is. There, no, I know who he is, and he has a YouTube channel. But it <laughs> that just it's surprising to me. You're actually not that bad of a teacher. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you credit where credits due. You're not a terrible teacher. Um. You're very con clear and concise with what you're trying to lay out. It's it. You actually do a really good job of making sure like you're teaching to the people that you want to teach to or that you're teaching to the people how they want to be taught as opposed to how you want to be taught the game. If that makes sense. Yeah. You do a very good job recognizing like people want to learn a game a specific way, even if it's not the way you like to learn a game. So that's the way you approach showing people how to how to play a game. So you're you're not a bad teacher by any means. So I don't necessarily think it was a bad teach. That was just me giving you a lot of a lot of grief, but that's just surprising because Trailblazer seems like one of those games that like a lot of people are probably gonna like. I thought you know? so. So I had to share yeah. that because I guess I'm wrong about that. It's possible that you might not like Trailblazers. I didn't think it's, it was possible, maybe. but <laughs> I even taught it, you know, to our friend Ben who loves like those lighter style games. I thought yeah. perfect. This will be right up his alley. And he was like it's fine. I'm like, ah, so just like, like just right to the heart. Yeah. I just stabbed you. Ugh, ugh. Yeah. Ooh. I, so they had expeditions there, the new, um, Stonemaier game and, and their hot games area, which I got to play that. And then I played it again with another, um, group that had just purchased it. And that game was really good. I really liked it. So I know the reviews, people have been saying like, if you don't like Scythe, you could still like this game. It's very different. 
uh, I, I I agree with that to a point. It is different for sure, but it, it it's got all the same parts of Scythe that I really like. So what I like about Scythe is the the efficiency engine that you're building, you know, and it, it's got that, like, you've got to focus on getting one thing. So it's the same um, star mechanic where you want to get, you have four stars instead of six, so it's shorter. Mm-hmm. And they have different ways of getting stars. It's different in this game than in Scythe, and there's no combat. So you've got your mech that you're moving around, and that's it. But there's zero combat between other other players. And you want to, you know, the game's going to play out till somebody gets four stars out. The nice thing is it will not end right away. You'll, everyone will get another turn. And then, then you just add up all your points that you get from various other ways, but mostly stars. And, and so it's got all this, the, the good beats of Scythe, but with no combat. So it's the parts that I don't like are excluded from it. It's like a Scythe the card game, I think. Interesting. But, but not as like somebody's like, is like Terraforming Mars to Ares. A little bit, but Terraforming Mars to Ares is very, very similar. Where it's really Terraforming Mars the card game. This is the actions that you do are different. Okay. You know, you're not you're not doing your encounters. You're not uh, trying to get work all your workers out. Like it's very different actions, but mm-hmm. it's got a lot of the same. You just recognize a lot of the same things in it. So it's gonna have a similar feel, but a little slightly more streamlined. Maybe it's just I think it's shorter and quicker without the combat. And, okay, and just different actions. So you've got some card play. So you you're gonna draft cards, and then you can play the cards. And you can collect workers that you can then activate the cards with these workers that you collect throughout the game. It it, it feels very similar in all the good ways aside, but quicker. It's like a quicker version of it. I'm excited to play this. Like, I really am. I really, I really want to get my hands on it. I really enjoy Scythe, even though it feels kind of like bougie now to like hate on it. But yeah, I don't know. This game, man, I really want to get this played. It looks good. It's got all the same artwork. It's got some really interesting card mechanics. The t- the it's tiles that you put out and then you flip over and you uncover them. So it's, each game is going to be different with the cards that come out and the tiles that come out. You can grab cards, you know, throughout. You have face up cards that you can snag, or you can blind draw one, which are kind of risky because sometimes you're looking, you're often looking for specific types of cards. Yeah, you know, it's it's got it's got some really interesting meat to it. I think a lot, I think it's gonna go over well. I I, I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get that game played at some point. So I'm chomping at the bit. So if you if it's out and they're selling it, that means I'm I'm close to playing it. Um, I played a bunch of other games that I really like. Uh, I played Woodcraft again. Loved that. Oh, I played Chinatown. That was a new to me game. So this is um a an older game. I think it was like 1999 or something. Pretty old, and it's. It's uh, a trading game where you can trade with other people for whatever you want. So basically you get these tiles. It's you get these tiles and you get these uh, land areas kind of like foundations of Rome. You get those land, you know, the land spots and you can put buildings on them Mm -hmm. except for you're 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 drafting. You're not drafting. You're you're dealt out these these land um, tiles that you just get and then you can trade with other people who are interested in your spots so you can trade they can trade for money which is victory points at the end of the game or they can trade for these tiles that you can then put on them or you can trade for ones you already own and so it's just, it's just compl- a 100 trading game so not something i would typically like but i enjoyed it because everything is worth like once you collect these sets you get paid out at the end of each round you get paid out so you know exactly what you're trading for like okay i'm gonna give you this I'm going to get this out of the deal, which means I'm going to make $100,000 and you're going to make $50,000. So that's a good deal for me. You know what I mean? Opposed to games where like, okay, I guess I'll trade it, but I have no idea if it's actually going to be worth anything at the end of the game. Yeah, you lost me at trading. I've always seen this game and I've always thought it'd be interesting to try it. Mm-hmm. Partly because it, 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 you know, you're getting those tiles and you're populating and building Chinatown, right? Yeah. So I, I do like those tile of games, but the fact that you're trading with people... I don't know that you might have lost me on that. Yeah, I I wasn't super excited about it when he was explaining the rules. I was like, okay, I'm not going to enjoy this. But I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. I, I thought okay. it was a, I, I enjoyed it. It was straight trading, but you know what everything is worth. That's good. You know. Yep. So early on, when you're trading with somebody, you know they might not they might not get the full collection, but when you're giving them the, the six one that pays out, like I think it pays $125,000, something like that. 
And then that's going to be for the next five rounds. And basically, you know, they're getting $500,000 out of this deal. So you can like really charge them for that tile because you know exactly what it's going to be worth. You can make sure you get a good deal out of it. Did you feel like you gave more, you gave up more good deals than what you got? Or did you get more good deals than you gave up? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Um, I got I got good deals because I won the game. Obvious. <laughs> so I know mm. I didn't get good deals. Yeah, and I didn't go. So. I wasn't going good. for I wasn't going for any of the big ones. So I think I was kind of flew under the radar and people were giving me stuff. So I ended up with a bunch of smaller sets that paid out early on in the game. And so I was consistently getting paid throughout the game, which helped opposed to like trying to get these big sets. So it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't it wouldn't be my favorite game, but I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And they are coming out with a newer version, I heard. That might be worth checking out. The old one's kind of ugly, but it's in a nice, small, skinny box. Well, it's a 1999 Z-Man games that has that old school Euro-y artwork. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I played Canvas for the first time. Ooh, how was that? Lovely. It was very, um, very light, think Century Spice Road, where yep. you, um, but without the card play, you're just, you're just buying you're buying these thin cards, not thin. You're buying these see-through cards, and once you have five of them, you have to display one of your paintings. And a painting consists of three of them. So you pick three of them, and you display them, and then you score whatever is the the scoring opportunities for the game. So each game is going to score a little bit differently. So maybe I want to get one of each color in my painting. That'll score me a ribbon. And then if I can get three different triangles which represents something i can score another ribbon so you can try to you try to get as many ribbons as you can for each each painting that you're going to score and you're going to score three of them and you just take you know there's a, a row of six of them the first one's free the second one costs you a palette you know and if you take if you take the that first card you're going to get all those palettes that are on there which gives you more money money you know to spend which is worth nothing at the end of the game but it helps you get those cards you the, the see-through cards you want and so it's very, very light, very lovely. I can see why it's really popular. This is one of those games that when I saw on Kickstarter, I thought was interesting. It felt like it was going to be a, a little too light for me. And it sounds like it, it is. But yep. um, what I think is cool about the game, too, is the box itself has a hook on the back. Yeah, you so can you can it. display it <laughs> like you can display it as artwork in your house. The box is actually one of those boxes that slides up, you know. Ah, okay. but it's a well, but it's a well-made box. It's not like thin, cheap, okay, cardboard. So it slides up. But yeah, it's 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 a really like lovely light game. I put in the same vein as Spinous Fish, you know, where it's very light, very lovely. How can you not like this game? But you, it might not be one that you're gonna want to play all the time because it's just not that terribly challenging there's not a lot of tension it's really just lovely to play sure yeah i've always been interested in in trying this game but just because the concept seems so cool it has Mm -hmm. such a unique theme right like you're building that you're building that painting with those see-through cards you know the the whole card crafting system i don't feel like took off nearly as much as what people thought it was going to be like the next oh it's going to be the next deck builder whatever that you're able to slide the cards and craft your own stuff. I think like edge of darkness mm-hmm. is one of the games that did it. So this kind of implements that slightly. Yeah. Seems really cool. Seems cool. Once you draft those see-through cards, you can place them on a paint and the order you place them matters because you're going to cover up ones. You know, if you've got two yellow colors, you know, you, you're one of them is going to be covered up. So you have to decide, do you want this one on top or this one on top? And so it's got some interesting decisions and some interesting uh, you know, it's got some interesting decisions that you're making there and how to get the most points out of each one. And then the more ribbons you collect in each area, they're worth more points. So you kind of want to focus on certain, you know, you want to focus on getting those specific shapes and, and requirements met early on. It, it was it was really good. I think it's, it's, it's a popular game. A lot of people could like it. This could be a game that could really belong in, in everyone's home. You know, this this could replace, you know, sorry or one of those stupid games you should everyone should have canvas instead of sorry you know technically it could replace the family picture you have up on the mantle of everyone you can just remove that guy and throw this guy on there yeah i'm just saying board game to play there you go anytime you know artwork and a game dual Mm -hmm. function quite lovely lovely game 
I got to play that with Wendy, so that was nice. Played Earth a couple times, taught that, um, which our our friend really, really liked that. I really liked it. Well, I got to play Revive again, and I played with brand new people, so I won. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Just the winning part was fun? <laughs> yeah, it was because I only played it with you, and you like destroyed me, and I was like, no, I got this now. I I really liked Revive. I was like, man, this is good. It's a good game. It's a it's a really good game. It's it's interesting with those boards and stuff like that. I really like that game. I want to get that game played more. Yes. Played Smartphone Inc. with full five players. That was really good. That was like the last game I played at the con until I had the, I literally left and then went on the plane. Let me ask you this with smartphone and mobile markets, because people have asked me my opinion about the two. And I'm currently in the process of selling a bunch of games. And one of the games I'm selling is Mobile Markets. So I can keep Smartphone Inc. Yep. Which one do you like better? Smartphone Inc. For sure. It's Mobile Markets is so like you can you can have the highest price in Smartphone Inc. and still sell phones. Yes. Maybe at the last turn, you're not going to sell very many, but you can. And in fact, I increased my prices throughout the throughout the game. I started low and increased my prices yep. and it worked really well. Where in mobile markets, it's like you just have to price low and get whoever prices the lowest gets everything and then everybody else gets like one or two. I feel like there's more game in smartphone ink than there is in mobile markets. And I feel like everyone gives a lot of credit to mobile markets. Like it's a smartphone killer, quote unquote. You know, people oh. would rather play mobile markets than smartphone ink. I, hmm. I really like the route portion of things in smartphone where you're developing a network in which you're going to be selling your phones, right? You have zero competition in the beginning because you're just the one person in like North America or South America or whatever, and you're the one selling those phones. But then as the game develops, you're moving, like people are coming into your territory and everything like that. I really like that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's more to think about with that. With mobile markets, I agree. Like, although you can price your phone high, and win the game because Jeremy did it. I don't know how he pulled it off. Well, maybe he didn't win, but he was competitive. I think he was within a point or two. But yeah, the the thing that sucks about mobile markets, and it's the part that makes you feel the worst, is when you price your phone at like $4, somebody prices at 3 and you're like, all right, I'm going to be, you know, you're second to go, and you're like, all right, I'm going to be able to sell some phones. And they sweep the market. They sell everything. Mm -hmm. And you're just like... <sighs> Like, I don't like I even priced my phone competitively and I'm not going to be able to sell a single thing. Uh -huh, so you get like three or four and make like twelve dollars. Yeah. And it just like it. And then that one person's like, yeah, I scored, you know, 40, 48. You're like, bro, you mm -hmm. know, it just it it feels doesn't feel good. It just doesn't feel good. And that's the problem I have mm -hmm. with that game. I really I did really like smartphoning. That was a lot of fun. Um, I got to play Guild of Merchant Explorers again. I really liked that. I played Garden Ball, which was good. I learned Cacao. That's in like an older. It it reminds me of a little bit of Catan. It's got that same like old look to it. It's yeah. got, got some tile lane in it. It was pretty good. I don't know that I would recommend it. It feels very dated at this point. Uh, I did play Floriferous, a little card game um, about collecting sets of flowers and bugs and stuff that was really quite lovely it kind of has the same feel as king domino because you can pick any of the flowers in this row and whoever picks the first one gets to go first the next round you know so mm -hmm. you debate between oh i really want this last one but then that means i'm going to be last to choose the next round so and it's a really light easy quick game i liked it quite a bit for a small little deck of cards played Wayfarers of the South Tigers. That reminded me how much I liked that game. I played their version of Beyond the Sun, which was like very, very um, upgraded. They even had like ships that you could put on, on the board, but we ended up not playing with those because they were way too big for this tiny little board. But it had a beautiful player board that was made out of wood. That made it fun to play. The upgrades that Tom Vassell does to his games are incredible. But sometimes they can get in the way of the actual gameplay. If you go on our Instagram, you'll see a picture of those ships. And the problem I'm going to have with those ships is like there's a lot of competition for those spots. Yeah. So you could have like four or five dice on there. So like if you, there's like two people with four dice, like what do you do with the ships? We ended up removing them from the game and just using the dice because the dice work just fine. <laughs> <laughs> it just... Oh man, he he the some of the games we played at like the Dice Tower Cruise with some of the upgraded bits and everything. Ah, so good, but every now and again 
feel like they can just kind of get in the way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You got to pick and choose what you want to upgrade for sure. I played uh, Ready, Set, Bat with Tom, and that was a lot of fun. He's got the upgraded everything. So he's got a neoprene mat for the uh, Ready, Set, Bat, which is huge. And then all of his the cardboard tokens have been replaced with poker chips, which is a lot more fun. He's got a bunch of them, so he can play a bunch of players. And then his um, board that you move the the uh, horses are on is it's bigger and it's magnetic. So he just kind of taps it and it moves to the next spot instead of having to manually move it. So it's really fun the way he's able to uh, run the horse race. It's really quickly. It's, it's it was a lot of fun. Did he actually play the game or did he just run it? No, he just ran it. You, that's like the first picture you sent me when you were down there. You're just like playing ready, set, bet with Tom. And I'm like, Ugh, yeah, because that was the first the thing I walked in the door the first morning. And he's like, you looking for a game? And I was like, yeah. And yeah, he's right, ready, set, bet right over there. He was by the door, like recruiting people. Nice. <laughs> it was fun. It was a great way to start, you know? Yeah. Is very, very welcoming. I know Tom talks about that a lot, like how he really wants his cons to be welcoming. And it really, really was. Every time we had placed a yellow flag out, which means we didn't need teachers for the game, people came and taught us the game. Like, I didn't have to learn any new games. You just have to ask and people will do them. And it was really, really easy, like going by myself. Um, I had no problem getting into any game. Every single time I went down there, I just walked around and... Um, found a game I could get into. I did play, when I played Terraforming Mars with one, a friend of mine, he really wanted to play it with more than two. And we had went to another room because we needed a bigger table because those tables are kind of small. So um, I knew people weren't going to come to that other room looking for things to play. So I walked around the convention with the green flag in the box asking people if they wanted to join us for Terraforming Mars. And a lot of people were like, oh no, I can't. Sorry. Like they're really apologetic about it, which was not needed like no that's fine and I, I did end up fighting somebody you know i had to just kind of ask a little bit but it was very very easy to get in and i met another lady about my age who also went to the con by herself and she had a, a different approach she wanted to go to the con to play like all new games and learn totally you know learn new games so she spent a lot of time like she would read real books and learn it herself um but she ended up playing a lot of like almost every day she all she'd play was brand new games that she'd never played before because that's what she wanted to use the con for was to learn new games. That's an interesting point because I was going going to ask when you go to a convention what would you rather do? Would you rather play a bunch of games that you know and love that you just don't get a chance to play that often mm-hmm. or would you rather learn a bunch of new games? If it was one or the other I would choose games I already know how to play because you're playing so many games if for me like it's my opportunity to play a lot of games, you know, and I don't often get that. And it is really nice to sit down and play a game you already know. You don't have to use the brain power to learn the game because that's yep. just exhausting, you know. But I definitely like learning new games too. My ideal would be like learning a game or two, one or two new games a day, especially the lighter ones. I have no problem learning lighter games all day long. But then playing all these heavy games that I just don't get to play very often. And it's really nice to play Tom's copies of these games because they're so upgraded and that's a fun experience on its own. Like the terraforming Mars one was great. And like every, a lot of the games, just even the Wayfair is all he had upgraded was the coins, but that was still so much more enjoyable to play with those coins. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, there's a, I, I like a nice mix. I do love going, being able to go to conventions and just playing a bunch of games that we already know that mm-hmm. don't hit the table that often on game night, you know, and but at the same time, it does afford an opportunity to sit down, learn two, three new new games. Whereas in a game night, sometimes you can only play a couple games. Yeah. So there's definitely especially big games. Yeah. So there's definitely, uh, I think, having a nice balance between the two is good, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. I had one day where I played Endless Winter, Wayfarers, and Revive, and I, at the end of the day, I, I had dinner and I was like, I only played three games today. Like that, that's crazy. I feel like I. You know, I had a whole day of gaming, but they were all big, heavy games. They're all newish games too, you know, so I hadn't yep. played them very much. So it was a nice opportunity to play them. Yeah, be able to sit down and play those games just mm-hmm. to sink your teeth into those newer games and develop strategies and stuff. Yeah. I really like starting the day off by playing a bunch of heavy games and then ending the day after dinner playing a bunch of lighter games. And then like after 10 or 11, switching into like 
what I call like fun mode. Like, okay, we're going to play silly, goofy, fun games. You know, maybe we could have a drink, that style game where you're just goofing off, having fun, laughing a lot. Like that's my perfect day. Heavy games, dinner, light games. Then we're here to have fun and just be goofy and silly. So when fun Natasha comes out finally. Yeah. It takes all day, but you'll get her at 11. 11 p.m. Uh at night when you start playing the crew or skulking. Yeah, we're just having we're just having like loud, rambunctious fun. Yes. I like that. If you we I did play late one night, I played Woodcraft late one night, and that was that was rough because everyone was tired. They were all learning the game. Um that's how I ended up playing it, is because they had a teacher's wanted or a player want they had something up there. They had room for maybe they had nothing and I just interjected myself, which is very possible too. Because they had three players, and I was like, hey, you got room for a fourth. I know how to play it. I can teach it. So I taught it, and it was like, I think we started at 11. So it was late, and it w- that was rough. And I'm like, oh, it's too late for this heavy game. People can get grumpy. Yeah, and especially like when I'm like, it, you know, I played it a couple times, so I'm good at it, and they're like learning it, and yeah, I'm just an asshole, you know. And you don't hold back. Yeah. And I just I play it. normal, you know. Because it's yeah. a big, heavy game. I don't get to play it very often. I'm not very good at it. I'm going to play it my best. Which, yeah. when you play it three or four times, it's it's a lot compared to somebody who's played it zero. There, <laughs> yeah, that's a, one of those games you have to like learn to interact with all that stuff. Yeah. Yep. But it was late. Yeah. So I do like switching to like those lighter games late at night when everyone's just dead tired, but still wanting to have fun. Those are some of the most fun times for me. Those late night card games. Those are the things I enjoy. Yeah, yeah, I love those and cons, and you just don't get those like at home very often. Overall, I really, really liked it. I'm definitely going to go again. I really enjoyed it. I, I would recommend it. Don't be afraid of Orlando's heat because you're inside the whole time, and the air conditioning is super, super cold, so it's totally fine. It, it's a lovely place to go if you want to have a little vacation in there. You know, we went down to uh, one of our my friends that we met down there. He's a big fan of Disney. So we went down to Disney Springs every night for dinner, you know, and then that I had my leftovers for lunch, that, which was really nice and convenient because the food at the resort was was fine. Like you can totally eat there, but you wouldn't want to every meal. So it was nice to get away and and do some shopping and and have some an, a nice meal, you know, but it, it's a it's a nice it's like a it's a con plus a vacation is what it feels like. You know, it doesn't feel like going to Origins or Gen Con where you're going to this con and that's what you're doing. You're you're going on vacation and you're also playing a ton of board games is really what these this feels like. Very similar to our experience at uh, doing the cruise, I think. Tom Vassell does a good job of providing an environment that that cultivates that, that allows mm-hmm. players to like be able to just join games. It's extremely friendly. Super easy to find games, super easy to interact with people. It feels more than just like a convention where you're playing games. It allows you to do other things. He does a very he does a very good job of that. You could take your kids, your family, and and they can enjoy the pool all day long and you can enjoy gaming. You know, you can step away. A lot of people did did Disney, you know, came early or did Disney while they were there. There was just a lot of it was very much like this is a vacation and you can play board games. And it was it was fun. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, hopefully next year I'll join you. Yay, that'd be great. All right, well, that's uh, that's what I think of Dice Tower East. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us again next week. Please help us out by giving us a review and liking us on Instagram or Facebook. And send us any comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.